My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, for those of you online, I'm going to be completely and totally distracted today because Mitch and Sherry Johnson are on that side of the room. And Mitch, has this ever happened before? Is it? I don't think it has either. So I, if, if, if I start teaching this direction so you can be on my left, that's probably, the, that's probably what's going to happen today. But uh, glad you guys are here today. Uh, we are back in the Little Red Book today. Uh, looking at chapters 7 and 8. So we have, I think in week 1, covered all the uh, part 1, so our about our class, our assumptions, objectives, uh, assertions. Uh, last week we looked at the first couple of steps in our uh, Bible study process, praying with others and hearing with others. And then today we're looking at thinking with others and studying with others. So. Uh, so I think we're on page 51. For those of you online, hello, good morning. Uh, you can find an online copy of this at OurSundaySchool.com. Uh, so, and then I, does everybody in the room, I'm looking, I'm looking, looks like you all have books. Jules, did you bring yours? Oh, okay, yeah, there you go. It was covered up, I couldn't see the red, so there we go. The inside is white, yes, uh, it is. The... Uh, I so want to go on a tangent right now and talk about all the different shades of white paper that Amazon will let you pick. It is obscene, and I had no idea what I was doing. And apparently, once you pick one, you can't ever change it. So this is what it will be. Um, so it's super odd, like the things they lock you into. So it's kind of crazy. Nope. <clears throat> the ISBN number would have to change which I don't care. It's not like you guys are like, oh, the ISBN number change. I mean, I really don't care, but it's a big hassle. So yeah. it's a very strange process though. All right, so, uh, so we've talked about uh, hearing with others. Let's, let's flip through our slides here real quick, Dave. So today is uh, week three. Uh, just as a reminder, we've uh, gone through uh, part one, our preparation on the next slide. Uh, went through part two, our praying with others, hearing with others. Today is thinking and studying. So two more. And next week, Lord willing, we'll be sharing and inviting. Uh, and then uh, in two weeks, I think, we'll walk through our practice. Uh, but today, we're back on uh, part two, thinking and studying. So let's start with chapter seven, if you're there. Um, and a, a question that I, a question that I heard um, when I was getting ready for this, the first time I taught through it, I don't know, there was a, there was a shadow of this. I went back and listened to some old lessons. There was a shadow of this that came out in like late 2014, early 2015. And there was a couple of questions that came up in the room and they sounded very similar to the question at the top of page 52 which is why do we need to think about God's word? And when I heard the question, I thought, like my, my first response was super sarcastic in my head. And it was like, well, what else are you going to be thinking about? Like, what do you wear your brain out on something that doesn't matter, right? But, um, but the answer, I think, comes from Scripture, and it's 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. 
And when I became a man, I put aside childish things. And if, if Paul was writing this today, I, I almost feel like he would say, and then I got a social media account, and I started speaking like a child, thinking like a child, and reasoning like a child again. But I won't go there today. That is not the point of this. Uh, but there is a very distinct way that children think and talk and engage, right? So, Ms. Sherry, you've a lot of experience teaching kids. Um, what, would be one, what would be one way that kids engage differently than adults? Pretty self-centered. Pretty self-centered, yeah. Cool. I'm not sure I was going to say, I, I was looking for differences than adults, <laughs> but <laughs> I think we get better at masking it as adults sometimes. But. <laughs> They say what they really think. I mean, it's just, it can be like kids say the darndest things, right? I mean, it can be just really, really brutal, direct, honest feedback at times. Um, will it, they're actually willing to ask questions when they don't understand, though, which is really helpful, right? Um, I will tell you, in my own Bible study, sometimes the best resources that I find for explaining really complex theological concepts are the children's versions of these because somebody has spent a tremendous amount of time trying to distill this down so that a seven, eight, nine, ten year old can understand it. And you're like, oh, that's actually a really good like launching point for something that's more complex. So that's that's really good. But the the part here I wanna I wanna I wanna look at here is I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Um, th- there's a uh, there's a thing called object permanence when children are very, very little. And you guys probably remember this from, you think you guys are probably in the middle of it right now, or maybe just past it. But you can, you can play hide and go seek with a very small child, and when they cover their eyes, they think you're gone too, right? Because they haven't, they haven't realized yet that things are permanent where they are until they get moved, right? And so this idea that, that there is a very childish way of thinking that fundamentally does not reflect the reality of the universe is good for us to remember as we go through and think about how we engage with God's word. Uh, so there's a childish way of doing all these things. And we don't want <laughs> to be childish in the way in which we engage with scripture. Uh, and I think just being aware of that, examining our thoughts and our processes can be very helpful. So Isaiah 55, uh, 8 and 9, from my thoughts are not your thoughts. And your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For, the, for as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And I think we're probably all willing to say a hearty amen to that, right? I mean, we, you look through the story of the Bible, and it is, it, from my perspective, full of spots where I go, if I were God, I wouldn't have done that. And I certainly wouldn't have done it that way. Right? So we're going through um, the life of David on Wednesday nights here at the Hickson campus. And, um, and there are, <laughs> like I haven't been in the Old Testament in a hot minute. Right? You guys know this. So it's it's going to be a hot minute, I think, before we're back in the Old Testament, by the way. Um, but it's been good to brush up on Hebrew and see some things that I haven't seen in a while. But I'm scheduled to speak this Wednesday night on 2 Samuel chapter 6. And 2 Samuel chapter 6 is the text where David is bringing the ark uh, back from uh, this spot that's kind of close to Philistia and there's some crazy stuff that happens on the way back. So Uzzah reaches his hand out when the oxen stumble and he puts his hand on the ark, right? Anybody remember what happens to Uzzah then? 
he dies, right? He's like dead in the dirt. And you're like, oh, well, that was, that was a bad decision. You know, and if I'm looking at that and you see a guy who it appears had good intentions here, but our intentions don't always matter when we're dealing directly with the presence of God. So in, in my mind, it's a, whoa, let's back up. There are, like, there is a value system at play here that he did not have the right perspective on. Right? Um, one of the commentators I read said that Uzzah's, one of Azal's mistakes was that he thought his hand was holier than the ground. I've been chewing on that one for a couple of days now, so that'll show up Wednesday night, I think. <laughs> uh, but there are different ways that God thinks about things. And for me, it is spectacularly wonderful to be deep into Scripture and to stop and examine how is God thinking about this situation. And God very, very rarely explains his thoughts in the Bible. What we, what we get to see are his actions, and you can kind of back into what he values, what he treasures, what, he, what his priorities are. Um, but I will tell you, it, it is very, very good for us that God's ways are not our ways. Imagine if we had a God that we served that had a human perspective on everything. I am not an overly consistent human being. Like, I set up all these processes and systems in my life to keep me on track and keep me consistent and keep me regular doing different things. Um, but if I was in charge of the universe, there'd be a lot of days where the sun just wouldn't come out because I'd forget. I was like, you know what? I'm not worried about that today. <laughs> right? There's, just, there's a faithfulness and a consistency that we see with God that we don't with us. And it's just a different way of thinking. It's a different way of assessing and uh, analyzing. So what are we supposed to think about? Well, Paul helps us out with this in Romans 8, 5. So those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. And if you ever want a really good temperature check, what have I been thinking about? Have I been thinking about things of the flesh or things of the Spirit? And then we get an opportunity to repent and believe in the gospel, <laughs> which is great. Um, so this is... This is focused, intentional thinking. This is not a flippancy with our thoughts. This is a, a purposefulness with our thoughts. But kind of the, the undercurrent all through this particular chapter is there's no sense of hurry or rush or expediency with any of this. Like we, we live in a society where efficiency is prized. Like how, how do I shave off a little more time here and optimize this and, and it's just... Well, is, is that what life is about, just being efficient? I don't think so, because it doesn't look like that's what God values. Um, I'm not saying he values uh, sloppiness or laziness or things that don't work or things that are broken. I'm just saying he's not necessarily optimized the universe for that as well. So this, this sense of lack of rushing and this slowness, I just want to keep us... Uh, Keep one eye on that as we go through this chapter. So page 53, our attitudes. The first is just humility. Um, Psalm 119, 15, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. The pronouns there are not me and mine. You know, like how, how much time do I spend? Gee whiz, I'm preaching hard this morning to me. Um, how much time do I spend 
thinking about my ways and my thoughts versus God's ways and God's thoughts. Um, and then we kind of get into this idea of uh, biblical meditation. I'll, I'll read you this longer quote from Hendricks and Hendricks, Living by the Book. Uh, they say this about biblical meditation. Meditation is not an exercise that you carry out for a few minutes and then check it off your list. It's a mental discipline that you carry throughout your day. It's a mindset, a lifestyle in which the word courses through your mind. That's what makes biblical meditation altogether different from meditation as we know it in our society, which I think is a really good distinction to draw out. Meditation, as popularly taught by the Eastern philosophies, tells you to empty your mind, the exact opposite of what the Bible says. Biblical meditation means filling your mind with the truth that God has revealed. So if you've ever needed a very concise way to show someone, like, I understand you're saying this word, but I don't think we're talking about the same thing. Like, biblical meditation is taking scripture and putting it into our minds and thinking through that. Eastern meditation is emptying ourselves, which, if you think about this, is a spectacular opportunity for the enemy to fill our thoughts with something else, right? To get our attention on something else. Um, it, it is the exact opposite of what a Christian would want to do. So be very careful as we engage with uh, systems or processes that would say, tell us to empty our minds or, uh, you know, the, a very subtle way that I hear this now is, well, just clear your head for a minute. You just need to clear your head. No, no, you don't. Show me that in Scripture anywhere. We need to fill our heads with Scripture. That is what should be going through, not clear your head. It's like, no, this is, this is actually dangerous. So first attitude here is humility because humility says that I, it's not about me. It's, it's about God. Uh, attitude number two is delight. Um, I will tell you this is one where I, I do not, so Julie helps me with this all the time, um, I will deliver really good news, and I will have a stern look on my face while I do it. And Julie's like, are you angry? I'm like, no, I'm thrilled. This is wonderful. Don't you understand? It's great. And, and it's like, well, then show your face a little bit. Right? It's okay to enjoy this. Um, you know, the psalmist said in one, Psalm 119, 27, 28, I delight in your commands, which I love. I will lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. It's like, if you've ever just been reading through the Bible and you just throw up your hands, you're like, that's awesome. That's actually biblical. <laughs> this is amazing, right? This is really good. And then Psalm 92, 5, oh, Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. This is good. If I want to think about God's deep thoughts, I can't do that in two minutes. This doesn't fit into a 15-minute quiet time. You know, we, we overly box things as opposed to let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Right? This steady, long thoughts about God's word. And then we get to attitude number three, steadfastness. This book of the instruction must not depart from your mouth. Oh, let me just set the setting here real quick. So this is Joshua 1.8. This is God giving Joshua a pep talk before going and like ruthlessly rooting out all of these opposing kingdoms and peoples that he's got to go do. So when you see the word success here, have in mind reclaiming God's land that God gave to his people. It doesn't have anything to do with promotions, getting a job, a salary, living in the house you've always wanted, having, I, I don't, like, 
However, uh, American dream, like that is, has nothing to do with any of this. God's use of the word success here is completing what God has commanded Joshua to go do. Not for Joshua's consumption, but for the glory of God's name. Does that make sense? I just want to make sure, like, because we, we get into this verse sometimes, like, this is how we can be successful. It's like, no, you're going to be really frustrated. <laughs> really frustrated. Because uh, meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe to do everything written in it, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. It's like, that is not how to get promoted at work. <laughs> like, that is not the recipe for that. Um, so steadfastness. This is a, a day and night, a day and night, a day and night. Psalm 1, verse 2, uh, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. He meditates on it day and night. It, it, you know, we, we have this odd uh, setup in American Christianity where we tend to time box our time with God into small little components throughout the day, or maybe once a day, or maybe once a week, or whatever it happens to be. And the scripture knows nothing of time boxing God on a calendar. The scripture is replete with, this is all the time, every day, all day. And oh, if you happen to wake up in the middle of the night, it's then too, <laughs> right? Uh, so it's all day, it's all night, it's all day, it's all night. So what do we, like, what do we actually do with this? We'll think about God's word day and night. Uh, Psalm 63, six, when I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, Psalm 119, 148. I am awake through each watch of the night to meditate on your promise. The, the implication here is almost that the psalmist stayed up just to think about God's words. Some of, some of you might come from a faith background where the last night of the year you would go to a church and there would be a watch service where there was some type of a Bible study that would lead you right up into the new year. The, the idea is that you want to start the new year right. Cool, but you can do that other, day, other days of the year too. So um, it's interesting stuff. So then action number two on page 56, what do we do? Think up. So Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And if you'll notice, it's a plural minds. It's not a singular minds. This is a command to a group to do group stuff together. So this is, I mean, think about how suboptimal a use of time this is for most companies in America. Like we're going to get together as a group and collectively think about this. No, you get together as a group to go do something together that you can't do when you're apart. This would be uh, asynchronous work, right, Dave? You're going to each go do this to get different, and then we come together and we talk about it, and then we no, 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 no. Like this is, this is thinking about God's works collectively together. It's a team sport, guys. <laughs> it's a team sport. So uh, what do we do with all that? Our summary statement, think slowly about the text. Think slowly about the text. These summary statements are just trying to capture everything that was in that particular chapter. So we've got a couple of uh, suggested resource uh, down there. So Hendricks and Hendricks Living by the Book, specifically pages 110 through 114, where they talk about 
meditation. It's just really, I, I tried to capture what I thought was the best quote in it back on page 53, but there's just a lot of other good stuff in that book. Um, I think I bought my first new copy of it this week for the first time in my life, because you can go to McKay's and there's always 30 of them. Like I just, I wanted a clean copy for the library. It's like, oh, this is, this one didn't have any scuff marks. It didn't have a McKay's sticker on the front. This is weird. I've never owned a living by the book that didn't have a McKay's sticker on it before. So I, I felt like I needed to pull a McKay's sticker off of something else and put it on it. <laughs> it's hot. Uh, but you can get this, like they're always over there, which is both sad and encouraging. So I'll say that. All right, so process step number three, thinking uh, with others. Uh, any feedback, comments, pushback, clarifications, didn't make sense, didn't make sense? Hmm. Describing what it's not. Yeah. yeah. That just seems to be with the way my brain processes things. I'm usually at go. <laughs> uh, and so getting me to stop long enough to think about it in this from business perspective. Yeah. I think this was one of the first times you and I had a conversation about anything biblical. Uh, we were, I had made some comment about the fruits of the Spirit, Dave. And you were like, yeah, well, that's, that's what it looks like when it's expressed correctly. But you can overexpress it and you can underexpress it, and there's dangers in that too. And you just, you just like walked over and started doing your audio stuff, and then I had to go teach a lesson. It was the worst lesson I've ever taught because I couldn't get out of my head. Wait, because there's a... You can overexpose and underexpose. Like, what do those look like? I bet there's examples of that in the Bible. And I had built this whole series in my head while I was, and I don't remember what I was teaching on. It was, it, it was not the right way to teach a lesson, I will tell you, because I was so incredibly distracted. But that concept is a, a very, has been a very helpful one for me when I studied the Bible. Like, what does this look like when you, when you overexert the engine and when you underexert the engine, right? So Uzzah touches the ark, you overexerted, buddy. Like you, <laughs> this was not good. Um, so yes. So thank you for that. It's a model to look at things through. So other feedback comments, chapter. Yeah, we, we see that, I think, in the uh, first chapter of Acts. So Jesus is gone, and they're trying to figure out, like, what do we do next? And they're all in the upper room praying together. You're like, well, they could have prayed in their own houses. What's up with that? Yeah, but you can't get aligned independently. You, you can only get aligned when you've got other people there with you. You get some serious misalignment when I decide to set my mind over here and I decide to set my mind over here and I decide to set my mind over here and then we come together and we fight and it's like, well, that's not what I came up with. Well, why are we doing it independently? Like, this is just, it's not helpful. So, good, good. 
All right, let's take a look at chapter 8. So our uh, study process, study with others. Um, This is a, uh, I I will tell you, in in my assessment, and this could very easily be wrong, but in my assessment, there have been more books about this written like by a factor of 10 in scripture than praying, hearing, thinking, uh, sharing, and inviting all put together. Like maybe not sharing, but certainly the other four. Uh, I mean, th- everybody has a book on how to read the Bible, how to, how to study the Bible. So I, I tried to keep this uh, light and referencing a lot of other stuff as we go through. Um, but just some attitudes here. So number one, and this is a new one, so this was not present uh, the last time I taught this, uh, but Ezra just comes out of the woodwork and he does some awesome stuff. And I was like, that's fantastic. I got to include this. So the first is resolve. So Ezra chapter seven, uh, verse 10. Now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord. And I so badly in the flesh want to put a period right there. And that is not why we study it. <laughs> Obey it. And teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. And the order here is really, really interesting. He studies it, he obeys it, and he teaches it. And and I will tell you, as a parent, I wish I had committed to that order 20 years ago. (laughs) Um... I, I try not to give a lot of advice to parents because I don't know that it, that's like my A1 specialty thing in my life. But uh, that, might be, that might be the verse that I would like lean into pretty heavy. And it's actually, this is not specifically for parents. This is for somebody who's going to be teaching the Bible. So, but to study the law of the Lord, to obey it, and to teach its statutes. Does anybody know what a scribe's job was? Copy, 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 copy. Like there are machines in the church's office that do what Ezra did. That Ezra, if he had seen a copy machine, his mind would have exploded. Like, well, this, like, do you know how much time this saves? But you know what you don't get when you use a copy machine? You don't get the thoughtful slowness of writing out God's word. Over and over and over and over again. Absolutely. There's a tremendous amount of respect with all this, right? Because what happens if he messes up? You know, this is not good. It's really not good. So he resolved. What's that? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. There you go. That's exactly right. So he starts off with resolve, uh, and then we move into incompleteness. So this is my, I, I can't read Luke 2.52 without thinking of my 16th birthday. Uh, my dad comes at me, I turned 16, he comes at me with four envelopes. And the envelopes are labeled uh, wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with people. Those are the four envelopes. He said, I want you to start thinking about your life in these four categories and how you are investing in each. And I was like, 
that was kind of heavy, Dad, for my 16th birthday. I was like looking for a, a car or something, you know? <laughs> like, are there, is there car keys in here somewhere? I don't know, right? I mean, that'd be cool. But, but this was phenomenally helpful advice because this was specifically about Jesus. So if Jesus could increase in, and this hurts my head every time I think about it, if he could increase in wisdom, in the skillfulness of living his life. Increase in stature. Well, that makes sense. He got bigger, right? And it's like, okay, cool. And this is the one my dad was actually really getting at because I was so scrawny and skinny. He wanted me to start lifting weights. Like the actual present that he got me that year was a weight bench set. And I was so proud when I could bench press the bar. So, like, that was cool. <laughs> like, that's how scrawny I was. And then in favor with God. So, uh, this hurts my head. How does Jesus' relationship in favor with, like, the Father's favor of his Son increased over time? I, how beautiful is that, right? I mean, the, the Father found favor in Jesus more as the more Jesus obeyed the Father's will. Like, I think that's fantastic. And then with people. So people actually liked him, which kind of makes sense because you go around healing people, you're going to make some fans at least. He made some followers too, but you're certainly going to make some fans. But if you are part of the Trinity, why is there increase in favor of God? God is God, yes. That's right. Which... So I'm going to ask you a question, Jen, and I don't expect you to have an answer. What was the Trinity doing before creation? The Father was delighting in the Son. The Son was glorifying the Father. And the Spirit was testifying of the Son's work. Like, just because creation happened didn't mean they started doing something new. We just got to engage with it. What will they be doing after, like, this part? After the, will the father will be, sorry, I have to do it every time. It just makes me laugh, right? Yeah, the father's going to be glorifying, getting glory through the son. The son is going to be completing the father's will. And the Spirit's going to be testifying to the work of the Son. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. So. This goes along the same lines of God's ways are not our ways. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus perfect, is. perfect. His he ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, Jesus yes. Said that he totally himself <laughs> in, of his own initiative. Right. He wasn't going around saying, okay, I think I'll do this. Today. Right. Amen. What an example for us, right? What an example. So just a, a smidge, like just a, a rounding error of a smidge of that we see, I think, in Apollos' life on page 60. Uh, this attitude of teachableness. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever been around a really skilled person who is very eager to continue to learn and grow in their field. 
but this is Apollos. So Acts 18, 24 to 28, now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures. This is not a phrase that Luke throws around very often. <laughs> Luke would have been likely the most educated man in pretty much any room he walked into unless Paul was in there. So like, this is, is a high praise from Dr. Luke. Uh, he arrived in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he only knew John's baptism. You're like, well, that's awesome, but Easter was a big deal, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a really big deal. So he's missing something in his theology. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue after Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him aside. They, they, they. They, 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 they. It's plural. They took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. His theology, like his, his theology library was this big. <laughs> And Priscilla and Aquila come along and like, you know what? There's more to this story. You're missing a few chapters. Imagine if you were to, if we only had the chapters in the Gospels that referenced Jesus up to the baptism of John. Mark is super short if that's all you've got. <laughs> you don't get out of like chapter one of Mark if that's all you got. And Priscilla and Aquila see somebody who has an attitude of teachableness, who's willing to learn more. So what do we do? We talk to teachers. Now, I'll, I'll tell you something I'm going to put in the next edition here is that one of the things I love to do is read a passage of Scripture from the perspective of every single character in the story. And if you read this same text, Acts 18, 24 through 28, from the perspective of Priscilla and Aquila, they see an opportunity for Jesus' message and his gospel to be furthered by investing in this person. So it's not just Apollos is teachable, it's you've got people that are willing to teach. You have both sides of this equation for it to work uh, really, really well. And imagine that, that's how God set this whole thing up, which is kind of cool. So the second uh, action here is to use available resources. So 2 Timothy 4.13, when you come, this is Paul writing here, bring the cloak I left with Troas in, with Carpus. Sorry. When you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. So Troas is a city, Carpus is a person, and the scrolls and the parchments. You're like, what's that about? Well, these are not books that Paul has written. These are things that are beneficial to Paul. And I would imagine that you've got stuff in your house that if you had time, if there was a fire and you had time to grab it, you would grab it before you ran out of the house, right? And it's probably a very short list. And the bigger the fire and the, har the larger the danger, the, the narrower and the slimmer that list gets. But for me, there's a handful of things, and some of them are actually books. If you wonder how much of a nerd I am, like <laughs> Julie and Caleb are out of the house, there's a handful of books I'd really like to grab. <laughs> and some of it's because of what's written in the books themselves by the author or by someone who gave that to me that is very valuable and precious to me. But these were things that at the end of Paul's life, he looked back and he said, those are helpful things for me. 
And what had Paul committed his life to? Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, declaring that Jesus is the Messiah, spreading the news that has changed him permanently. And these are things that were helpful for him. So I, I would say, you know, we live in a day and age where resources are available all over the place. And I, I think one of the reasons people see Bible study as very daunting is that there are so many resources. Like, where do I even begin? So I've listed a couple here that should, uh, should help us a little bit. Uh, the first there is Danny Aiken's Building a Theological Library. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's a resource book about resources. Uh, K. Arthur's How to Study Your Bible, especially that appendix. Like, oh, my goodness, that is just, my friend Dwayne Alsbury would say that is choice material right there. Uh, and then Mark Yarbrough's uh, How to Read the Bible Like a Seminary Professor. And I would say those are, I probably ought to think about the order of these. I would put K's first, and Aiken's second, and Yarbrough's third level of complexity. There we go. So what do we do with all this? So I'd say study the text with all available resources that we have. So that gets us through the first four process steps. So pray for help with the text. Hear the text read aloud. Think slowly about the text. Study the text with all available resources. And if the thought has crossed your mind, this seems like it takes time. Yes. (laughs) What a wonderful thing to invest our lives in, the study of God's word so we can know him better so we can live for him as we should so next week Lord willing we'll do uh, sharing with others and inviting others and then uh, we'll likely spend a week just on the practice stuff so if you've got feedback if you've got input if you've got questions additions revisions suggestions please get them to me Um, I would love to not have 30 books turned in with 30 sets of notes the last week like that's going to be a little much so if you've got stuff you want to feedback give me feedback on just keep that coming in as you got it uh, and that would be super helpful all right so we've got you should have your weekly updates on your tables um, I look around and I don't see them sometimes because you guys have already started writing on them and I'm like oh crap we didn't put them out but Julie always puts them out this is what she does it's amazing uh, so if you've got uh, prayer requests for this week or ongoing please write those down make any updates uh, I will say just a quick note, uh, the, the lesson I taught at the beginning of June about membership in our Sunday school, so I'll just remind you, if you haven't already said, hey, I want to be a member or commit to membership again, please let me know because there's a shockingly small number of people that have so far. So if you haven't let me know that, uh, the easiest way to do that is when you print your name on the attendance sheet, just circle your name and that lets me know that you're in and we'll keep you on the list. So. With that, uh, if you would, you are free to pray together as a group. And when you're finished, let's go and worship this one who is worthy of all of our efforts. Thanks, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.